Okay. Good morning. Well, got a lot of folks still coming in, so please make room for them, uh, especially when you see a bunch of them coming in. If you don't mind sliding and letting them be able to sit together as a family. Um, again, welcome. If you're a guest of ours, and I did meet a few of you, that's your first time, uh, if it's your first or second, if you'd please fill out the registration on the celebration guide and rip that off and put it in the offering plate, all we ask you to give us. <clears throat> Today's a little bit different day. We're <clears throat> going to be down at least 40 people. They're in Alaska on a mission trip and uh, praying for them that they have a, not only a good time, but a blessed time uh, in what they're doing. Uh, on the back of your bulletin, we announced last week that since we're not, we can't mention everything, you can scan that little, what, what do you call that? A what? QR code. What does QR stand for? See? I like to know stuff. Things mean things, you know. Anyway, you can scan that and it'll give you more of the uh, announcements of what's going on. Wednesday night Bible study, I sent everybody that gave us um, an email, I sent that message to you, kind of getting your feedback of uh, the way we're going to do that uh, service. Right now, it looks like that everybody wants me to do the detail. Uh, so anyway, uh, we'll be looking at doing that. Back to school, supply drive, rock crusher, uh, please bring your stuff and uh, we'll show you where to bring it and we'll show you where to put it, get it ready for the school year. All right, glad you're here. Let's stand. Welcome somebody around you to church. Quick reference. Quick reference. Quick reference. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, dear. You have to look that up. Make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers. But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light when it was up to me. To make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only.
cry holy, Lord, in your presence. For you are truly holy, blameless, perfect, good, accessible 24-7 like no other's father. You don't go on vacation. You don't sleep. You don't slumber. You're always there for us, Father, when we need you. You never let us down. Lord, we just praise you this morning for your goodness, how you keep us in the palm of your hand, for your protection, for your safety. Lord, may we always remember to be grateful to you. We thank you this morning that we can give. We thank you, Lord, because we know it helps in telling others about Jesus. So, Father, blessed we ask in your precious holy name this morning. is so good, is he not? The other thing that <clears throat> can be debilitating to me is frustration. Goes right alongside with fear. And I just have to tell myself, Lord, I know you're in control. I need you every second, every minute, every hour of every day. Amen? And keep telling him that. He'll make his presence known to you. It's a beautiful song. I know you're going to love it.
to remain focused on you in both the good and the bad and for us to cling to you like you are the only thing we need as you are. Please help and bless this service and for you to touch our hearts and for you to change us for you, Lord. Please bless Pastor and all those who are away on this missionary trip. And in your holy name, amen. Thank you all. Well, we've got a little bit of extra time this morning, so I thought what I would do is ask you to join me in this, just have a uh, special little time of prayer. Um, many of you know, if you're with us on Facebook at all or uh, emails, that our sports and recreation minister, uh, Chris Hope, just had surgery uh, Friday for uh, cancer in his bones, his pelvic, his uh, hip, part of the femur. They feel like they got it all, removed it. Uh, he should be maybe even today going to um, a room from intensive care. And so we want to be praying for him. Uh, also, if you remember the officer that I think is still in a coma, uh, Officer Lahera, um, the son that goes here. And then uh, last week, well, I forget what day it was, but I'm sitting watching, uh, reading and watching without a sound, uh, Bay News 9, and I see this uh, wreck that's taken place down in the Tampa area uh, with two highway patrolmen, and that their vehicles had flipped, and they were in pretty bad shape. Well, one of them was a member of our church, uh, Sergio Pierce, that sits in the back, right back there, and his daughter was the young, pretty little girl up here singing, next to my pretty wife up here singing. And so uh, his hip was crushed, uh, shattered, actually. Um, he may be, may be coming home today, but we want to pray for him also. And so I'm just going to ask you to join me uh, as we pray for these. And then during the week, 
If you, ever, if you get pulled over by a, a cop, think about, oh, and pray for these ones. That, that was supposed to be a joke. You know, just, you know, if you get pulled over, you know, pray. Anyway, pray for yourself, right? Father God, we, we come to you this morning, and um, we do pray for our brother and our staff member, Chris, and for Kelly, his wife, and pray that you would be with him and Lord in this uh, road that he has ahead of him. Uh, give him strength, courage, uh, to remember that it's one day at a time. And uh, thank you for the good report uh, of success of the surgery. And now be with him in recovery. We pray for Sergio and Janie and ask and pray that you would be with him. He too is going to have a journey ahead of him of rehabilitation, um, and we just pray that you would watch over and keep them. Maybe he would be able to come home today. And Father, for Officer Lahara, uh, we just pray, Lord, now that it's been uh, almost two months, I guess, that um, he's been in this coma, and we're just asking for your hand to be upon him. And Lord, all three of them, we, as we pray, we're careful to also say, Lord, this is what we would like but nevertheless, your will be done so that it will be, we know that when your will is done, it will be done perfectly. And uh, we, we submit that into your hands. So thank you. Be with us now as we talk about trusting you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, um, we are looking at the very last sermon in this little four-part series on the words from the cross, the words that Jesus spoke. Um, and actually today, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at the last of the last. This really is the last thing that Jesus said. You know, there are, you can go on, online and you can look at, uh, there are books that <clears throat> you can buy that tell you the last statements of people, some of the last things that they said. Some of them I thought were actually funny. Uh, I wrote three down to share with you. First service didn't think they were funny, to be honest with you. They, they really didn't, either that or they were just uh, half dead that morning. I don't know. But there was a guy, true story, named James Rogers. He was a criminal about to be executed back in the early part of the last century by a firing squad. And they did ask him, do you have any final request? And he said, well, yes, I'd like a bulletproof vest. That's, that's a true story. Okay, then there was a man, I like this one, being a Southern Confederate boy. You Yankees don't get mad at me, but um, there was a guy named General John Sedgwick, Civil War commander for the Union Army. He was killed on the battlefield just moments after looking at the enemy saying they couldn't hit an elephant at that distance. And that's when he got it and was done. Pancho Villa, you know him? He really did say this, his last words, don't let it in like this. Tell people I said something. Uh, you figure out, <laughs> you know. I thought, wow, okay. But today, we're going to look at the most famous last words of all. The words that Jesus spoke on the cross. So, as we've done for three Sundays, if you want to go to Luke 23, that's where we'll be to start with. Luke 23 tells us this about the last word. By this time, it was noon, 
and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Remember, Jesus was crucified about nine and was on the cross for six hours before he died. All right. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the captain of the Roman soldiers handling the execution saw what had happened, he praised God and said, surely this man was innocent and was the son of God. Now, folks, as a, as a Roman centurion, he had obviously seen hundreds, maybe thousands of crucifixions. That was the standard operating procedure for executing someone in the Roman Empire who was not a, a um, citizen and who uh, was a criminal. Um, and here's this man, this crucifixion had to be like something that he had never, ever witnessed before. And he had witnessed, as I said, hundreds of these. But this one was different. There was nothing to compare it to. So he says, this man was innocent. And not only that, but he had to be the son of God. Well, why would he do that? Well, there was something about the way he died and something about the things that he saw on the cross and not to mention the earthquake and, and it getting totally pitch black. I mean, he saw all of those things, but this again was like nothing he'd ever seen before. Now, why did this guy see in Jesus something that was totally different? Well, he heard, uh, again, the last words. He was there at the foot of the cross. Remember when we, we talked about the word of assurance? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was there. He, he saw this. You don't do that. He never saw that before. He was there when um, we talked about the word of love. When Jesus, in the middle of exec being executed, said, Mother, John is going to take you home. And John, I want you to take my mom. And then, last week, the word of forgiveness. The first thing that he heard out of this man's mouth was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And now he's hearing this. So he heard all of this, and he has come to the conclusion by seeing the earthquake, seeing it get dark, and by the way, Jesus um, turned down them offering him the painkiller that they normally gave everybody at the beginning of an execution. He turned that down. And something else that we'll talk about in a few minutes, he heard Jesus say with a shout, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, it was finished. Jesus died. Folks, people don't die like this. This is not normal for people. When I read this and, and, and studied this whole series, I thought, you know what? Jesus gave us a model on how to die. He was not afraid of dying when it was his time. He knew it was time to die, and he was not afraid of that. He was not angry. He was not bitter. He knew where he was going. He had made his peace. He had finished what God put him here to finish. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. I, I've done it. And he trusts God with his future. Now, let me give you three quick things about Jesus' death, how you can describe it really in three words. One, he gave his life voluntarily, if you would write that down. 
Now, this may shock some of you who maybe have delved into it deeply, but nobody took Jesus' life from him. And I remember over 20 years ago when the Passion of the Christ came out, there was this great debate and argument. It was in most every paper. It was in most every magazine, even secular magazines, um, about who was responsible for taking Jesus' life. And it was, was it the uh, Jewish religious leaders? Was it the Romans? Was it the people at the cross that demanded he be crucified? Who was it? Was it us in here today? Was it, was it our sin? Let me tell you who took Jesus' life. Nobody. Okay? Nobody. He laid it down. He volunteered it. What held Jesus to the cross was not nails. It was love for me and you. If Jesus had not wanted to be there dying for our sins, believe me, he wouldn't have been there because he was in control of the whole situation. Go to John chapter 10 and read that chapter, and let me give you a little piece of that. Jesus said these words, no one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also the power to take it back again. And folks, that's what he did. He laid it down on Friday, and he took it back on Sunday. It was all at his discretion. He was in complete control. Amen? So he gave it, his death was voluntary. Number two, he gave up his life reverently reverently. By that, I mean what Jesus was quoting here was Psalm 31, 5, when he said, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now, when you, in one of my books in my office called Jewish Antiquities, it will tell you in there that this uh, Psalm 31, 5 was something that they taught their children to pray like many of you. Now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know that one, right? that you teach little kids, they taught their children and, and, and even the adults would pray this prayer before going to bed. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Every Jew knew that. And, and uh, it was from Psalm 31.5. So he died reverently, quoting scripture. What else did he do? He died confidently. He died confidently. He shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And friends, listen, as somebody who has been around a lot of dying people in 42 years, I've probably been around more people that gave up their, that, that had their last breath than maybe everybody in here put together. I know that's just the nature of, of ministry. But I want to tell you uh, this about people when they die. When people die, they don't shout. I've never, ever heard anybody shout. They whisper or they just barely mouth the words because, you know, they're weak and they're, they're at that moment of, 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 of dying, but they certainly do not shout. And normally a person in the last stage of crucifixion doesn't have the ability to even speak. They suffocate. That's how they die. They suffocate. So he's not shouting this in anger. He's not shouting it in despair. He's not shouting it in defeat. He's shouting that in victory. It's a victory cry. 
And ever since Jesus said these words that we're going to look at in just a moment in, in four main sections, into your hands I commit my spirit, people today have been doing that. People that are going through danger or difficulty or depression or disaster or defeat or death. And I don't know about you, but folks, most, I can't say every single one, but most every night I say that before I go to sleep. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, um, 2023 has been a tough year. You know, it has been a tough seven months. We got five more to go. Um, but it has been hard, you know, personally and, 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 and in the church. And we've seen more blessings, but we've seen the enemy try to attack more because of those blessings. We've had more people get saved. We've had more people that have, that have started coming and young families. And the enemy just isn't sitting back and letting that happen without a fight. And the last two months have really been tough with death and sickness. And now, as you know, our people that are having surgeries right and left. So when I'm going through the darkest hours of my life, I need to remember four things from this statement. Every word in here means something. So let me give you these four things. First two will be the, the longest and the other ones will go quickly. Number one, when I'm going through a dark hour, I need to remember I've got a father in heaven who loves me. A father in heaven who loves me. Jesus starts off with that wonderful word, father, father. Now notice something here. I'm letting you write that down. See, a lot of you still writing. I got to pick one of you out when I see you finish writing. I know everybody else is, who's the slowest writer? No, I won't do that. <laughs> Folks, here's something that maybe you, you, you didn't notice. All of his life, Jesus called God his father. Father this, father that. Teaching us, you pray to our, our, my father. It was father. But in the moment that he was on that cross and he had my sin and your sin and the sins of the whole world on, on his body and in his life, in his soul, he didn't say that anymore. He said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not my father. But now... He goes back to my father. The penalty is done. The judgment is over. Reconciliation has been made. And now he goes back to the most intimate of terms. It's really Abba, Daddy. But it's translated for us, Father. And I know a lot of people, I've said this before, you say, well, if God is really like a father, then no thanks because my dad was something else and inconsistent and unreliable and, and things like that. But let me tell you something. Folks, if you know the Lord God, you've got a father in heaven that loves you more than any man or woman can ever love you. Do you know that? More than any man or woman could ever love you, God loves you. And he knows what will make you happy more than you do. We know that. We, we also know that if I trust him, there are benefits to trusting him that I wouldn't have otherwise if I rebel and want to do my own thing. I know that he is a loving, compassionate father, caring, you know, and consistent. Amen? 
That's the kind of father we have. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who honor him. You have a father in heaven who is perfect and he loves you. Amen. Number two, you got a father that Jesus says, my father can be trusted. My, he not only loves you folks, you can trust him. One of the great questions of life that you're going to have to eventually answer is who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And the way you answer that question will determine whether you're happy or miserable now and in eternity. Now, folks, we could turn to a lot of things. You know, um, how many of you would say that, that you, you know, you just, you have, you have trust in the government? No, I know that. I mean, I knew that'd be a laugh. Okay. But let me tell you something. I told you this. I watch those travel shows a lot because I love to watch the scenery and, and, and where they're at. This last week, there was one of them that they did on the city of Oslo, Norway. Some of you may have seen that. And they were interviewing a couple of the people that live there. They have about a 70% tax rate. And they were totally happy with that. And I'll never forget what they said. They said, we trust the government to do what's right. And I thought, well, maybe you do there, but we're certainly not going to do that here. I don't trust the media. I don't trust anything about them. Not social media, not media uh, television. I don't trust cultural opinion, the things that I read. Ask Jason Aldean about that. All right? I don't trust in myself, amen? I don't, you know, you may say, well, I just, you know, I'm just going to go with my gut. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Uh, respectfully, I would suggest to you that trusting in your own emotions and your gut is pretty stupid because emotions lie. And emotions can be manipulated from everything that you watch on TV um, to whatever you ate before you went to bed. And if you, if you go by your emotions like a lot of people are today, then you're going to be manip manipulated by people for the rest of your life who know how to manipulate you. Amen? So I want to suggest those four things in your notes there. That if you're going to trust your life and your future to somebody or something, it better be somebody that you know has your best interest at heart, somebody that you know knows everything about you, somebody who is perfect and who will never lie to you. Well, you know what? That pretty well narrows it down to one, and that is Almighty God. Because, folks, let me tell you something about us, okay? Not about God. God is going to always tell you the truth. All the truth. But down here, we hardly ever tell the truth, all of it. You say, what do you mean? Well, we shade it. We filter it through our own filter. Um, and I've said this, and you've heard me say this before, uh, and you, you're going to be able to fill in the, the blank. The Bible says that you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Now, folks, you know what? That's true. The truth will set you free, but first, it's going to make you miserable because people don't want to know the truth. 
And it's hard for me to sit up here and tell you that most of the problems in my life were brought on by my poor decisions. Not you, though, right? You're looking at me like, really? Yeah, really. Psalm 33, 4, for the word of the Lord holds true, and everything he does is worthy of our trust. Folks, the truth is, God isn't waiting for anybody else's opinion. He's not waiting for the five or the view or anybody like that. He's not waiting for them to decide what he wants to do or not do. And when we read that passage there, let me find it again. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. I want you to circle that word entrust because that is a Greek word that means to commit or to deposit. In fact, literally, if we were to talk about it today in our present day vernacular, how many of you have ever had a safety deposit box? Anybody? Okay. That's what it's talking about. That is what the Lord's talking about, and that is what we're going to see Paul talking about in a little bit. That's the word that Jesus is saying. I am making a deposit of my life, of my spirit, uh, into the Lord's hands for safekeeping. And folks, let me tell you this, whatever you entrust to God, he's going to take care of it. You don't need to worry about it anymore. He will take absolute care of it. Now, I want to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. And I know, it, I know the answer to every single one of you in here. Because you all may answer this differently. You say, that's pretty braggadocious. Just stay with me. I know the answer to this question for every single one of you. And here's the question. What do you need to entrust God for today? What do you need to entrust to God today? What do you need to do? I know the answer for everybody in here. Here it is. Whatever you're worried about. Whatever you're worried about is what you need to give to him. Folks, worry is practical atheism. It is practical atheism. Worry, and I'm speaking to me, is like is me acting like God doesn't exist. Worry is acting like I don't have a father in heaven who really loves me and can be trusted with my life. God has a track record of being faithful and perfect in every way. Sometimes it just overwhelms me when I get to thinking about God is perfect in love, perfect in compassion, perfect in mercy, grace, slow to anger. Everything about him is perfect. That's so hard to grasp. He has a track record of being absolutely faithful. Paul knew this. He's in Rome. He's in prison. He's not long for the world. And he says in 2 Timothy 1, I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one, talking about Father, in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. See, Paul saying, look, I don't know why things don't always work out in my life. I don't know why I'm in so much pain, why I'm in prison, why I'm not out there preaching the gospel and starting churches still. But I got a father in heaven that loves me, can be trusted. And so I am persuaded that he can take what I've given unto him and put it in his lockbox 
his safety deposit box until the day when he comes back. Have you ever, listen, I don't know about you, but I've had people over the years that have said this to me. You know, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be saved. I do want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And, but pastor, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to totally sell out to God. I'm afraid to totally give it all to him because I'm afraid I won't be able to keep the commitment. And I, you know what I say to him? Well, let me be honest with you. You can't. You can't keep it and you won't keep it. You will mess up. Fortunately, your salvation isn't based on you keeping the commitment. It's based on Christ keeping his commitment. Amen? That's what it's based on. The Lord keeping his commitment to you. That's why Paul said, I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Now, while we're, before we move, and I've got just a few minutes, I want to cover this. Three areas that people will ask me about in this area right here. And one of them that I hear a lot is, well, what about babies who die? Do they go to heaven? Or pastor, people who don't have the mental capacity to understand and accept Christ. What about them? Answer, they go to heaven. They go to heaven. They go to be with the Lord. They don't, they've not reached an age where they are accountable. For they, they can't, and that age, I believe, probably is different for different people. But God knows when people have reached that age and the ability to understand. So, but they go to be with the Lord. Uh, you know, the Bible says, and I think in Psalm 116, that the Lord protects the simple-hearted. And I think that's true in this case. Here's another one. Well, preacher, and I had this one just a week or two ago. What about people who start out and they start out saying that they're a true believer in Jesus and they seem to do that for a while, but now they, they seem to be totally confused and they say that they've stopped believing. What about them? Well, answer, I'm not going to give you a big theological answer. I'm just going to tell you the basic here. If they were a true believer, a true believer, they'll be in heaven. Okay, and I'm going to give you some scripture here in just a minute. See, the Bible says that the way you get to heaven is by the gift of God's grace. Now, what a person loses after that is they lose any reward they lose um, the, the security uh, down here of knowing because now they're confused. But they, 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 um, it's, you're not judged for heaven on the basis of what you do. It's on what Jesus did. And that's, that's what salvation is all about. Well, let me just, before I get myself too deep, 2 John 1 says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out in the world. Watch out. Now, and listen, he's speaking to believers. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may, here's the key, be rewarded fully. Got that? But you may be rewarded fully. Now, I want you to notice that here. When he says, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, is he talking about your salvation? No. Paul knows it is said a hundred times that you're not, you don't work for your salvation. So that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what you do after that you were saved. All right. Here's another one that I get asked about. Well, Pastor, what about people that were true believers who commit suicide? 
Answer, if they were a true believer, they're going to heaven. If they were a true believer. Now, some of you brought up in a religion that probably taught you something different. But let me tell you this. Many of the uh, greatest saints in the Bible dealed with those kind of suicidal thoughts. Some people at different uh, low points in their life actually said, I wished I'd have never been born. I wished I'd have died in my mother's womb. I wish I'd have never seen. I wish they'd have gone to my mom or to my dad uh, when I was born and said, he didn't make it. He's not alive. He didn't make it. He's still born. Let me tell you, David in Psalm 13, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 20, Job in Job 7, all said the same thing. I wish I'd have never been born. Let me ask some of you Bible scholars a question for you to answer to yourself. Elijah, Moses, and Jonah. What do they all three have in common? Elijah, Moses, and Jonah. All three of them asked God to kill them. All three of them. Lord, just take me out of here. Folks, I want to tell some of you that may be feeling bad right now. The tide goes out, but it always comes in. Hang in there. Hang on. We got people here that will help you. We got people here that have been through what you're going through, believe me, no matter how dark it may seem, and they're there to help you. Second Tim, oh, this is a this is a great one. Second Timothy 2:13. If we are faithless, he, who's the he? God will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Isn't that good news? Even if I'm faithless, Lord, I just don't have it right now. God says, that's all right. I'm faithful. And I'll keep what you committed to me back there on that day. I've kept it in the box. I've kept it in the box. The only unforgivable sin is for you to die without Jesus Christ. Turn him down. Here's the third thing. Got to move quickly. The third thing Jesus said, that my father is doing things that I can't see. He's doing things that I can't see. It loves to rain on Sunday, doesn't it? <laughs> Folks, you are not just a body. You, you, are, you are a spirit. You are a soul. There's a spirit in your body. And, and when we die and that body is buried in the ground, but our spirit lives for eternity. We go to be with the Lord. He gives us a body, uh, an intermediary body that, that, that our loved ones have right now. But then when he comes again, then where the graves are going to open and the ashes will be reconstituted and they will be made just like they were before, only a perfect body. Hallelujah. That's what the Lord has promised us. But let me tell you something. There is a cosmic battle going on for people's souls today. There's a cosmic battle but because this life is not all that there is. But we can't see everything going on behind the scenes. Number four, Jesus, understand this. He can handle anything I give him. He can handle anything that I give him, including my doubts, my complaints. I love that phrase, into your hands, into your hands. I was telling the first service that many, many years ago, down here at First Baptist Church in Crystal River, on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, 
and I'd be there with mom and dad, and I was the youngest, so I would have to sit between mom and dad, probably because I would be the one getting in the most trouble. So daddy, daddy would always sit out on the end of the pew, and then I would be in the middle, and mama would be over on the right. And daddy's hand, he would always put his arm up on the pew. And I remember, I just, I just smile when I think about it. I just remember as a little boy that his hand seemed like it was huge, a big old hand, and it was thick, you know. And as a little boy, that hand would hang like that, and I could touch his fingers and play with his fingers and stuff like that. And if I ever got too fidgety or if I started doing something I shouldn't do, my daddy could thump. He could thump. I mean, you talk about testing to see if a watermelon's ripe or not. Buddy, he could thump and pretty well knock you out. I mean, you just, not really. But, it, but I mean, it would hurt. But it was those hands. And folks, my heavenly father has got really big hands. In fact, he's got the whole world in his hands. Somebody ought to write a song about that one day. Do you know that the phrase, the hand of the Lord, is used over 200 times in the Bible? The hand of the Lord. Very quickly, I only got about a minute and a half. What about his hands? One, they're big enough to bless me. They're big enough to bless me. Jesus often touched people, little kids even, to bless them. Number two, they're scarred because he'll never forget me. The only scars in heaven are the ones on the hands of Jesus Christ. And they will be there forever, and I believe to remind him and us of what he did for us. But we will not have scars. I won't have a scar from here to here anymore on my knee. I won't have a scar back here that long on my back. I won't have scars up here from carpal tunnel. I won't have scars up here from a pacemaker. won't have all that. It'll all be gone. But God's, the Lord's hands are scarred to never forget me. And then number three, they're strong enough to keep me eternally secure. You know, Jesus said again back over in John 10, he said, I give them, talking about us, eternal life, and they will never, never, never in a million years, never perish. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch, snatch them out of my Father's hands. Everybody here, ever daddy especially, but moms know it too. But dads, you, you're the ones that probably went through it. You got a little child and you get up to that first uh, uh, swimming pool experience and they're on the side of the pool and they're maybe two years old. Jump, jump, daddy will get you. Come on, daddy ain't gonna drop you. Come on, jump. And they don't want to and they're afraid and they're backing up and they're holding on to mama's leg and you know, she pushes them away and finally they come up and, and, and they finally get the nerve and they jump into daddy's arms and you catch them and they're fine. And then what happens? Got to do it a hundred more times. Why? Because folks, it's a perfect picture when we know that we can jump into our father's arms and that he's going to take care of us. Let me give you, I want to end with this and then we'll pray. From the message paraphrase, I took that passage, Psalm 31, 5, that we got that about entrusting our spirit in his hands. Let me read to you chapter 5 and a few verses, or verse 5 and a few verses after. I put my life in your hands. You won't drop me. You'll never let me down. You saw my pain. You disarmed my tormentors. 
You didn't leave me in their clutches, but gave me room to breathe. I love that. Gave me room to breathe. Be kind to me, God. I'm in deep, deep trouble again. I've cried my eyes out. I feel hollow inside. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My years fade in, out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones to powder. Desperate, I throw myself on you. You're my God. Hour by hour, I place my days in your hands. Safe from the hands out to get me. Warm me, your servant, with a smile. And save me because you love me. Let's pray. We're just going to ask you to pray this, this, this morning, right where you are in your, in your seat. What is it that you need to entrust into his hands? What is it that you need to entrust? It's whatever you're worried about. Whatever you're worried about. So, Father, we thank you, praise you for these words from the cross. They've meant so much. We've been so blessed learning about forgiveness and trust and, and uh, love, Lord, and assurance from you. Now keep everyone safe as they are on their way, going on their way home this morning. Amen. And before we leave, let me just share with you that the sheriff's deputy said there's a big storm coming. You, you knew. But because of that, he's not going to be able to stand out in the road. So he said, please be very careful going out. Be kind to each other. Give each other the right of way. All right? God bless you. Maybe you can get out before it drops real bad. Go slow. Go slow.